Hello, I am Isaiah Sullivan. Today's scripture comes from John 9, verses 1 through 11. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Thank you. Thanks, Isaiah. How are you guys today? Good, good. So, I'm excited about today. We have some great scriptures to look through. Um, but I want us to think about a couple things as we, before we venture into those. First is we want to think about internal changes that then change everything you do, right? What are some internal changes that change everything you do? How many of you remember fourth grade? Anybody remember fourth grade? Fourth grade was awesome. You know what's awesome about fourth grade? The playground, right? Recess was the greatest thing about fourth grade. I remember on re at recess there was um, me, a guy named Chuck, and Robbie, and we just loved kickball, monkey bars, running, everything was great about it. We just dominated the playground. Now, Robbie was a girl. Robbie was a girl, and she was great at kickball. She could kick as hard as all of us. She could run as fast as all of us, and she hung out with me and Chuck. But then, summer came along. You don't see your friends. You come back. It's fifth grade. Robbie doesn't hang out with us anymore in fifth grade. What happened? Fifth grade comes, she's no longer got the little tight pigtails, the hair is out, she's no longer wearing uh, the, the shorts and stuff that we wear, she's in a skirt, she's hanging out with the girls. Now, as a fifth grade boy, I have no idea what the girls do hanging out, but I just know something changed in Robbie, and now she no longer does anything we used to do. That's what happens in our lives, doesn't it? There's some changes that happen internally that then change everything about us. For girls, it's from fourth to fifth grade. For boys, it's, I don't know, high school or 25 or somewhere along the line. But there's this change that happens, and then the whole world changes, and everything you do changes. And so we're going to look in a few moments at a scripture, and we're going to see that there's an internal change that happens in us that then that prescribes changes everywhere. Now, a second image I'd like for you to think about is 
your lens that you look through. Anybody wear glasses or corrective somethings in your eyes? Everybody, all right, good, good, good. Me too, I have contacts in right now. Just a couple weeks ago, uh, I had to go back to, as Regina Downing, she's here, she helped me out uh, to get my prescription renewed because it's been a while. And you're sitting there, and you know how they do the thing, is it this one or this one? Is it this one or this one? And they're showing you this lens and this lens, this lens or this lens. Sometimes it's hard. Like, I don't know. Do them again because I'm not sure. It's an anxious test because you know if you get this test wrong, your glasses will be wrong for the rest of your life and you can't have seen anything. And what I learned in this test is I had a choice. I could either see far away or I could see close up, but I couldn't see both. I'm officially old. That is the moment you realize my body is gone. I cannot see far away and close. But she says, no, 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 we have special ways that you can see both. And then you get these special corrective bifocals, trifocals, all these kinds of things that come in. But it was in that moment that I realized the lens that you look through is that's how you see life. There's no way around it. So I was going through... And I finally got these. Now, because I have my contacts in and my glasses on, you guys are a blurry mess. There is nothing I can see. So this lens changes everything I see. And then when I remove it, I'm good to go. Now I can see everything. Now, if I was to give uh, young, healthy Igor my glasses and he was to look around this room, he would, you would all be a distorted mess again because his eyes, lenses work just fine. He doesn't need my old man glasses to see because the lens that we look through in life determines how we perceive everything. So I want to take those two concepts as we walk through a statement that we're going to walk through, and then we're going to see how God's Word teaches us. One, when there's an internal change, it changes everything about you. And then two, the lens that you look at through life determines how you view this life that you're living. Now, in order to do those, this is the statement that I hope that you remember. And this is a statement that I believe I would love to adopt and internalize for 2024. I wish I could get it as a tattoo or a bracelet, but look how long it is. You can't do with that. But maybe we can memorize it. Maybe we could learn it. Maybe there's a way we can let this sink in. And this statement says, I'm not the victim or the hero. God is writing his redemption story in my life. Through Jesus, I'm able to overcome sin and live in his will. Now, the reason I feel like I'm going to need this statement is because I look at the year ahead, and I know I'm a little bit worried. There's a lot of uncertainty about 2024 to me. I'm already tired of the election, and it still hasn't happened for 11 months. So I'm already not looking forward to that. And then you get like, oh, what's going to the economy going to happen? And then really just life changes in a year, doesn't it? Your health changes in a year. Relationships change in a year. There's always, as we look forward, a lot of times we got like the excitement of looking forward to, here's all the great things that are going to happen. But we also realize we look forward to a lot of uncertainty. And there's things going to happen that we didn't want to happen. And there are things that are going to go on that we didn't plan and we didn't ask for and we weren't hoping for. And so with that level of uncertainty in front of me, I know that I need to really have a lens to view all of that. You see, because I need to look next year and say, I'm not the victim or the hero, 
But God is writing his redemptive story in me so that through Christ, I can overcome sin and live in his will. When we look at John chapter 9 that Isaiah just read to us, this story is, is really one of the coolest stories when you see Jesus heal someone. So he comes up, and there is a man born blind. To me, that's just heartbreaking, isn't it? I can't imagine never having been able to see in your entire life. Many have experienced that. Now, the question that comes up to me is so intriguing as you begin to look into how our, our minds work. This man was born blind, and the question is, whose fault is it? Whose sin? Was it him? I don't know how he was born blind and somehow sinned, but that was the question. Or was it his parents? Because someone has to get blamed for everything, doesn't it? That's the mentality that we as humans live in. We live in a blame mentality. I would love to say we live in a blame culture, but look, it's not our culture now. This was 2,000 years ago, and what are they trying to do? They see a tragedy. Who has to be blamed for this? See, blame is one of the first things that we adopt as a way to cope through things, a way to try to explain how it works. And so we love to blame. We blame um, the government for everything when we're on social media. We blame our parents when we're with a therapist. We blame the school system when we're dealing with youth. We blame somebody for everything that we experience. And so here we see this same question where they're saying, who was to blame for this? This one or that one? Now, the problem with this is that it leads to a dead end for us. When you came in, were you able to get a handout? Some of you were handed a paper. I hope all of you were. I want, this is your, this is your in-class work and your homework, all right? Now, on the one side, it says, this is what I'm thinking. I want you to look at the what I'm thinking. And the what I'm thinking, you're going to see this blank. Blank made me blank. All right? Now, this is our default mentality as we go through things. We say, so-and-so made me so-and-so. We say, my parents made me broken. We say, traffic made me late. We say, my spouse makes me fight. We say, my kids make me yell. We say, money makes me happy. We say alcohol makes me relaxed or alcohol makes me depressed. We have this first thing that we ascribe to, and then we say that's the thing that makes me blank. So I want you to think for a minute, what is the narrative that you're constantly thinking? Blank made me blank. You see, while we're living in that mentality, well, that's the lens that we're looking at life through. What we have done is we have made the principal subject, the beginning of that, we have made that the power. That person, that thing, is what makes you act or do the other thing. And as long as we are waiting for someone else to change to be our hope, then we are hopeless. Because our hope is now dependent on someone else's effort. Our hope is dependent on something else that we could do. That's why we begin the statement with the idea of, I am not the victim or the hero. The victim says, someone else has to change my life. Someone else has to save me. Someone else causes my problem. It's because of this that this happens to me. Because of this that I have to do this. And we're able to blame quickly. 
And that leads to anxiety, depression. It just leads to all of this hopelessness that, that we experience. Then the reverse gets true. We swing that pendulum over and we say, well, I'm not the hero. Because the hero says, I can control it. I can control the situation. I can make these people do this. I can change them. I can fix it. I can work harder. I can overcome it. I can do it. And then the hero says, I can take over this world, this life, and I can make it what I want it to be. And they realize that they don't have that power. We don't have the power to change someone else. We don't have the power to overcome the sin in our own hearts. And that hero runs into the anxiety and the control of never being able to accomplish what they're desperately trying to do to control what's happening around. So in this story, Jesus comes and he sees this man born blind and they say, whose fault is it? Who do we blame? Parents or him? And Jesus has a perfect response for the blame mentality that we have. And that is God is doing something. This is not this man, it's not this parents, but this has happened because God is working something for his will for miracles to happen. Jesus answers, but the works of God might be displayed in him. This statement is easy for me to read about someone else, right? I can say, yeah, that bad thing's happening to you because God's going to do something you know, I can read it and say, yeah, this man is born blind, but you know what? Jesus is going to heal him. But that man sat begging blind for decades. And in those moments, it's difficult, isn't it? In that moment, he couldn't look to a future hope. He wasn't saying, hey, any minute, Jesus is going to come and heal me, and I'm going to see. He wasn't living in that. And so it's so much easier for us to tell someone that it's all going to work out than it is to live in the reality that God is working. But that's the change that God has to make in us. You see, because Jesus did come and heal him and give him his sight. And that changed everything in his life from there. God is writing a redemptive story in your life. You might be at a moment now where you don't know what that is. You might be in a place where you can't see the way it's supposed to come out. But you can have faith in what Jesus Christ has done already through his word and already in your life. You can look back to that to have faith that God is writing a redemptive story in your life. The transfer from I am at the will and at, the, at the, the power of everything around me to move me to realize that God is doing something and he's working in my life. This is where we really adopt the, the doctrine of the omnipotence of God. If we truly believe that God is all-powerful and we truly believe that God does know the beginning from the end in our life, we take that doctrinal statement and then we try to internalize it in the way we live, then it should transform our view of what we're going through. Now, I understand that's always easier to say than to do. 
but internalizing and understanding that God has a redemptive story he's writing in your life right now. So I don't know where. This coming year, 2024, might be just a rocket ship of joy for you to the end, or it might be trials that no one else could understand. Regardless of those things, God is writing a redemptive story in your life. And resting in the assurance that God is a good God and he is guiding these things is the way that you can persevere. You see, I'm not the victim and I'm not the hero, but God is writing a redemptive story in his life. The second phrase then becomes, so so then what happens? If that's not who I am, but God is writing a redemptive story, then what flows out of it is next in Jesus. I have the power to overcome sin and live in his will. When we began our worship service, we began with the call to worship of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable spiritual worship. Verse 2 of that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. This is that image I was trying to paint at the beginning. The internal change that then changes the direction of all of our activity. It says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. The internal transformation is what leads to the new life, to the new work. So Romans 12 creates a pivot for us from viewing this world as out of control, from viewing this world as as something that we're fighting against that's coming against us, viewing the world as blank made me blank, to transferring that same thing now that God made me blank. Recognizing the power of God in your life to transform you. God made me bling. Now, what I would love to do is I want to show you about four or five verses to solidify that, to prove that statement, to prove that that mantra that you can carry into the next year is something that is grounded in God's word that isn't just like Instagram psychology, all right? That this is something that has a foundation of truth. On the other side of your little worksheet, You see what God is saying, what God is saying. Now, what I want to do, (coughs) excuse me, is the next few minutes go verse by verse for you to see what God is saying about you that can transform your future. Now, the verses that are written below are all wrong, all right? That is my fault. When I was preparing, I prepared, I wrote them all wrong. I sent them in, the person printed and said, are these correct? I'm like, perfect, good to go, print it. And then I sit down to study. I'm like, how did I get every single verse wrong? I think it was maybe the glasses. I couldn't see what was close. Maybe the holidays made me lazy or my glasses made me blind. I don't know. I'm going to blame something besides myself. But it was me. I got them all wrong. 
So what you get to do is the pen right in front of you, you get to mark it out. This is actually a better educational device than if I handed it to you correct. Because now you're going to see it's wrong. You're going to correct it with your pen, and you're going to remember it even more. Because all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, right? So you're going to do this. Now, the very first verse that's not right there, but this is the correct one, is Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We just sang about that. And Max highlighted that. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In that blank, you could say, God made me free. God made you free. I think the reason that our New Testament is so full of people who seem to be in the worst situation, that Jesus goes to them and redeems them, is so that we can relate and know that God can set me free. Because if his ministry was with prostitutes and tax collectors and disciples who kept failing and messing up and people who kept abandoning him, and he was still there calling all of them, he was always gracious and able to reach into the situation that you and I might say, well, at least I'm better than that, or at least I haven't done that. We're able to see that he is able to reach into your life and into my life. And the idea that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Because you receive Christ Jesus into your life, this internal change means that you are now free. What would it mean to live free going into 2024? To realize that you can't pay for your sins again. That what Jesus did on the cross has already paid for them. And that his forgiveness has already been applied to you, that you can't be condemned again. To be able to walk forward in life knowing that you don't have to carry shame and blame and anger and sadness, but that you get to humbly say, Jesus has already paid it. I get to move forward in life. You see, in John chapter 9, this very story of this man who was born blind, Jesus does this transformational, this life-sight-giving thing where he spits into the mud and puts it on his eyes. So dramatic and extra (coughs) for Jesus. He He could just say, now you can see. But he does all this visible stuff so that they can participate in it. And then this man can see. But notice, what's the reaction? Even though sight was given to him, not everybody celebrated. There were people who were like, wait a second. That's not even you. That's fake. You're someone different. It later turned in. We didn't read the entire part of the chapter. You can read as you continue more. You see, there becomes a, an argument on whether it should have even been done at this time. And that it wasn't fair. Realize that you have been set free, but living in that freedom isn't always going to be good for everyone else. You might have people that say, oh, you're a hypocrite because you used to do such and such, and now you're saying, don't do that. You'll say, oh, why are you judging me just because you don't do this? They're going to say, because you have set out to live differently, not everyone is going to be glad for that. Living in freedom, some will say, well, you can't do that. You still have to pay a debt. 
and they're gonna hold a debt over you. And it's gonna be very hard to step into that freedom that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And that's why you're gonna to have to return to the scriptures. That's why you're gonna to have to return to this verse so that you don't say, blank made me blank. Man, I had a New Year's resolution that I was going to live free, and by January 5th, it was dead because someone set you off. But you're going to be able to go back to the Scripture, and you're going to say, there is no combination to those who are in Christ Jesus. I can't pay for sins again. Jesus has already done it. I'm going to move forward in the freedom that he gave me. And so God made me free. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17 will be our second verse. Romans 8, 14 through 17. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're going to look at a s identical versions of this verse. So in this one, I want you to say, God made me an heir. An heir. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, I'm not depending on an inheritance for my future. And I can tell my sons now, do not depend on an inheritance for your future, right? <laughs> Most of us live like in a mentality now that you're going to have to work for your own way, right? You're going to have to get your own. And in fact, we're, we're proud if we hear of a celebrity or an athlete who's like, I'm not giving my kids anything. They're going to work like I had to work. We're like, yeah, that's right. People should work for theirs. In fact, we often look at inheritance, you know, maybe as like a negative thing, that people are entitled. You know, usually it's like a tabloid-type thing where so-and-so is with uh, the heir of some billionaire, and that's why they have a position. And, or we, we view it as, you know, the son in the company who's, you know, just obnoxious and, and just knows that daddy's going to give him the company, and so he ruins everything. And that's kind of our mentality of inheritance now, that, that these entitled people are getting stuff they don't deserve because someone else gave it to them. And we really have a negative view of inheritance right now. Or maybe I do. I don't know of everyone. That's, that seems to be the mode. But if we were to step into the culture that was written here, inheritance is foundational to the economy. You see, a family had to establish something and pass it to the next generation or there would be nothing. The land, the home, because the, they're in, in this agrarian where you have to grow things and you have to make things. You know, you can't just venture out on your own and make it. It's not a free economy that we might picture that if you work hard and you do your best, you'll make it. It is very dependent on an inheritance that one generation would establish, and it was the job of the next generation to move it forward and to take that. And so with inheritance, there is this entitlement. There is something that's given to you that you didn't earn. A generation before you built it and worked it and prepared it for you. But then there was also responsibility that if you are receiving it, you had to do the same too. 
And so view inheritance at, at a much bigger way than what we see it as just this entitled receiving something you don't earn. But see it as this, this inclusion, this partnership into this community where the future is dependent on it. And it says here something very interesting, that we are made heirs. We're brought into this, some level of responsibility and level of involvement. And then it says we are heirs with Christ. This concept seems impossible, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem impossible that you and I, with our frailty and our sinfulness and our weakness and our failure and all of these things, could be partnered and heir with Christ? You see, that's kind of the, the level of entitlement that comes to us. When you are with Christ, his righteousness becomes your righteousness, even though you didn't earn it. His hope becomes your hope, even though you might not be able to see it. His peace becomes your peace, even if we don't understand it. You see, when we become heirs with Christ, we receive the benefits and blessings of Christ because of our now, just our enmeshed. The Holy Spirit has bound us to him, and it's inseparable, and all that is his becomes ours. And we realize we are far from deserving it. We didn't build it. We didn't create it. We're like that entitled brat who steps in and says, all this is mine? And yet in that inclusion of saying, yes, this is yours, you are part of this, there wells up this, this responsibility of being connected now. I'm part of this community. Christ has, says, you are an heir, a fellow heir with Christ. Thanks, Emmanuel. He's trying to sneak a water bottle up here. Appreciate it. Now, the very next verse repeats the same things. This is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. This verse has... Almost the exact same wording. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That last statement, God has made me his child. Not only are you able to inherit and participate, what there is is a relational connection. And it uses the word Abba, Father, which is an endearing term like, like daddy or poppy. It's, it's something closer than just the authoritarian rank of this is the patriarch and this is the one who serves under. He says, no, 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 no. You're my child. Just like we had Henry getting baptized. Henry can say mama or daddy and stick his arms out and they're going to do whatever he says. Which is crazy, right? Like babies, they have really worked the system. They do nothing but ask for more. And we love them most, 
right? They're the cutest, they're the best, everything. They have figured it out. And this is the relationship that God can, is connecting us to. That at any moment, you could throw your hands out and say, Father, God, I need you. I'm here. Where are you? What's going on? What's happening? That you could throw your hands out at any time, and he's there. And so we are not only made an heir, which makes us able to participate and receive the goodness of what Christ has given, but then we're made a child, which means that we have this honored position, this beloved stake where we're connected and that we, he has poured his love out on us even if we haven't earned it and don't deserve it. The final verse for us to look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God has made me new. God has made me new. We think about this beautiful statement. Now that you are in Christ. Being in Christ means that you are leaning on him as your savior. That you realize that only God can can empower you to live this life. That he is the one who died on the cross to take away your sins. Your guilt, your sin is all removed by him, by his sacrifice, and on you has put his, sal- his righteousness, his salvation, and your future. And so you're resting that Christ is the one who's done this. And now that you are in Christ, it says you are a new creation. This time of year, we have New Year's, right? So tomorrow is a new year. And I love this because you get kind of like the whole new clean slate, you get to, you know, start over. Else it's 2024. This is going to be so different. And you start the goals and the resolutions and all of that. All the newness that comes out of it. But in reality, there's nothing different about tomorrow than today, is there? It's just another day. You're just moving over to another day. And all that matters is how you actually live. You could have had New Year's resolutions two months ago. You could have had them three weeks ago. You could have said, this is the newness now. This is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to change. This is the difference. But the idea of a whole new clean slate gives us a chance to start. I think we struggle and strive with that in our life. Many of you have been following Christ for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Some of you feel like, I I think I've been following Christ my whole life. I started in church. I always knew it, and there was like this. So it's really hard to say, look, I'm brand new, because then you realize, yeah, but I was last year too, wasn't I? So we're kind of met with this glorious idea of, of Jesus pouring all his newness into us, and then the reality of, yeah, but it's just another day, right? I'm still fighting the same thing. I'm still struggling with the same thing. I'm still working on this thing. I don't feel like everything is different. You see, that striving to find the will of God in our lives, to, to find that freedom and to find that, 
That is the thing that the Holy Spirit works in us. And it's not as simple as a, say a prayer, flip the script, and now everything's different. Life's a struggle. And this new identity that Christ has given you and has given me, man, it takes, it takes work for us to kind of realize that. It takes the Holy Spirit's work to begin to take down those, those old perceptions that we had. To help us stop with the so-and-so made me this. and This is why. And the constant blaming. And to be able to turn the page and to let Christ now reprogram us to be new in him. It's not an immediate fix or a one-time fix. It's something that God brings us through a journey in our entire life. And a community is gathered together to help each other in that. You see, we are new in him. But verse 20 of that same chapter, which is 2 Corinthians 5, it says, therefore, we are ambassadors. I didn't have enough lines here, but God made you an ambassador. So as an ambassador, you're a representative of him. A representative of what? Of God's redemption in this world, of forgiveness, of grace, of kindness, of, of this strive to do what he has called you to do, to find the mission he has for you, to enjoy the life he has, to live in his identity, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You could put another line, God made me righteous. You see the blessings of Christ pouring out? I hope that I could lock this phrase into my mind. And that it could be the lens that I view what's going on in life. That in this coming up year, all that's happening, that we can view it through this, this mindset. That I'm not the victim. I'm not the hero. But God is writing his redemptive story in your life. And that through Jesus, you can overcome sin and live in the will of God. Let's pray. God, we have so much ahead of us in life. Even if we just look at one year, what can happen and change. So God, we are here asking that you would just be present in, in our hearts and in our minds and our words, that we could see your redemptive story in our lives. And we not fall victim to these mentalities that we have that we're trying to struggle on our own to make it. God, help us to rest in your work. You're a powerful God that can overcome anything. You can give sight to the blind. You can give peace to those who are anxious, Lord. You can bring us to a security when we're insecure. You can give us hope when we feel hopeless. So, Lord, help us to look